You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Monster House presents Monster Talks, a proud member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network, home of such shows as Kick-Ass News, Movie Therapy, and Therapist Uncensored. If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. It's August 27th, 2023, and you're listening to Monster Talk, special episode, Monster Talking. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith, and today I'm going to be doing something a little unusual, a little different. Um, this is kind of a catching up with Monster Talk, and I'm trying to do this as a one take, if I make a mistake, just let it go kind of approach. I'm treating this like a giant voicemail to the listeners, so... Um, it's not the way I normally do an episode, and it's extremely grating on my mind because I'm such a perfectionist. I realize I often release shows with mistakes, but I assure you, they bother me <laughs> really badly. Uh, I don't know why I'm like that. I wish I wasn't, because as is commonly said, uh, perfection is the enemy of progress, and that's definitely true in my life. As you'll hear as I talk through some of the stuff that we've been working on, uh, I tend to have way too many things on the stove cooking at once, and so delivering all these meals to the table at the same time is impossible, and just getting them out the door sometime 
means they've stewed for months or years, which is crazy. But that's how I live, and unfortunately, uh, that's just one of those things I have to overcome. So I'm trying it. I'm doing it. Here we go. All right. So as you may notice, Karen's not here. She is back home in Australia visiting with family. She should be back soon. We're still in touch. We're still working on stuff together. And uh, that's one of the things I enjoy about this show is working with Karen and trying to find out what we're going to look into next. Now, behind the scenes, we're often doing our own research. And Karen's, as you can see from her Amazon author's page, is frequently producing books and short stories. You should check those out. But uh, myself, I tend to do articles and not books, although my goal is always books. So... Uh, coming up over the next few weeks, we'll be doing some material that is adjacent to some research I've been working on. Uh, so let's get started with, I guess, what's the biggest news for me, or at least in my head it's the biggest news. And that is uh, a few years ago, or maybe two years ago, I, I started a company called Monster House. Uh, I, I, my goal was to join my podcasting work together with some publishing work and try to build a media company, uh, you know, a humble media company, but one built on science, rationalism, and a love of monsters. So I'm not sure everything I do will be nonfiction, but um, I certainly want to have a way to sort of collect some of my monster research and monster-related content and get it out in the form of books, because ultimately, um, that's always been my goal. I've been a writer all my whole life and I always enjoyed writing and verbal communication and just sharing ideas and I have an insatiable curiosity and I like to write down what I've learned and hopefully share it with you guys and I realize a lot of the content especially the intros and outros of Monster Talk that's me I write those things and I, I write articles and I like to solve mysteries and I think it was maybe um, you know between 1997 and maybe 2007 I was living in sort of a skeptical researcher vacuum where I didn't really know anyone else in the skeptics community. And so having sort of escaped that vacuum, uh, Monster Talk certainly introduced me to lots of colleagues in the research world, but also the fans and listeners of the show who are fans of monsters. And that's a wide swath of the world. You know, every culture has monsters. Not everybody wants to know if they're real or not, but I think it's fascinating to study them. Anyway, what happened was I built this company called Monster House LLC with the intention of being a media company. And I started trying to research how to do ebooks and publishing and self-publishing because um, I don't know that any publisher uh, would necessarily be interested in the kind of work that I want to produce. So I set up the company and I started taking classes on how to produce ebooks and Maybe, I don't know, a week or two into the course that I was taking, I got a call from Joe Nickel. Now, Joe and I are friends and colleagues, and we talk occasionally, not every day, but occasionally. And then Joe, out of the blue, said to me, would you be interested in publishing my next book? Now, Joe didn't know anything about me wanting to start a media company and Joe didn't know I was taking a class on how to publish my own books so it was a, quite a coincidence but what it is is Joe has a new book that collects a lot of his monster cases 
and he's calling it the science of monsters and then he has a long subtitle the the science of monsters is not a unique title but the subtitle is unique and of course it being from joe nickel is unique but i i was immediately uh i guess i don't know struck i was impressed by the coincidence and it seemed so in line with what i wanted to accomplish with monster house it just seemed dumb to not jump at it Unfortunately, uh, the gap between me being enthusiastic about making my own books and the knowledge to actually execute on same were not closely connected. So it's taken me about a year and a half to actually get through the process, but uh, I've finally gotten there. So I think um, the ebook's probably going to be ready in the next couple of weeks. And then I've got to do some work on converting the ebook into a print book because I want the print book to have an index and sort of all the uh, normal frills one would expect in a well-researched book. So it's not, you know, if this was Joe's young adult novel about being a monster hunter, that'd be one thing. But this is not. This is Joe's uh, meticulous research. And I want to make sure it looks good and is easy to use as a book and not just an ebook. And also, uh, I haven't found any ebooks, uh, audio, excuse me. I haven't found any audiobooks by Joe. Uh, so I want to record this book as an audiobook as well. So that's on the table, but it's not something that's going to be ready um, immediately. But my goal is to try to get Joe's book out by October 1st. That is the launch day that I have in my head. We will see how I do because, like I say, I've got, um, oh, I don't know. A good 20 to 30 hours of work left on finishing this up, but uh, I think I could pull it off. We'll see. Um, you'll hear more about that here. Now, other monster news. Uh, this one uh, ripped from the headlines. I should tell you that uh, right now there's a big event going on at Loch Ness. Um, they were sending out emails and press releases for the past several weeks. Uh, trying to create a uh, big convergence of monster hunters at Loch Ness. Um, and that's actually taking place, uh, it was August 26th and 27th, so I think it's going on right now. And this was put together uh, by the Loch Ness uh, Center, which is the same center that was put together by Adrian Shine back in the, I think, late 70s. Uh, or might have been mid-70s. But at any rate, Adrian Shine, you probably know him if you're a fan of Monster Hunters because he's one of the more reasonable voices in the field and tries to in integrate science into the search and care and maintenance of Loch Ness. Now, you can't separate, at this point, Loch Ness from the monster uh, because economically the region has become quite dependent on tourism dollars. I think since covid it's understandable that visitors uh, have sort of dwindled around the lock. So this is probably best viewed as a simultaneous uh, drive to increase interest in Loch Ness tourism. Uh, and I think probably to a lesser degree to get to the bottom of the Loch Ness mystery. Because the big mystery now is how are we going to keep people coming here to spend money on the lock? It's a beautiful lake. I mean, it's gorgeous and it's full of history and mystery. And that's that's wonderful. And I don't want to diminish um, the joy that people have thinking about this. In fact, thinking about monsters is what this show is all about. But I would like to say something about some of the coverage. 
monsters, the paranormal, the weird, the, the media does a very poor job of, of understanding and contextualizing stories in this space. And we talk about it all the time on here uh, about how the media covers things, uh, you know, plays the X-Files music or whatever, and it's just a dismissive. But at the same time, monsters are hugely important culturally. They tell us about ourselves, about the world. People want mysteries. People use monsters as symbols of, of, of cultural membership. Uh, you see, like, Bigfoot's now become something. Uh, I don't know. I see icons on trucks and backpacks. And, you know, they, they, it's, it's money, but it's also a cultural signifier. And I don't know what it all necessarily means. And there are, you know, many meanings there. But the point is that when they treat these stories straight as though there is a monster in the lock and people are going to go find out, I think... I, I, any reasonable person might ask, well, look, they've already done complete lock surveys. Of course, someone might also say, well, they've already had government probes into UAPs and UFOs, so why more now? Anyway, these cycles happen. I don't, I'm not mad about it. I wish I could go. If I could go look, I would. But, again, a few years ago, um, there was a research project led by um, I think Neil Gimmel. Is that right? Uh, yeah, Neil Gimmel from New Zealand. And we had him on the show. I had a terrible connection, but he was really a joy to talk to. And he's one of the biologists who's using environmental DNA to do monster research. And, and now what is he really doing? He's popularizing the awareness of eDNA by using it in a legitimate question. And it was a really nifty idea. He took surveys from Loch Ness and other locks and tried to find any sort of uh, DNA floating around that was unusual or um, maybe uh, indicated that there was some unknown species there, which is a plausible outcome, uh, not necessarily a plesiosaur or anything like that, but there could be something there. So taking an eDNA survey is almost like doing a population survey uh, I think, I don't know if they got down into the mud, but they got a lot of different layers of water across multiple locks and, and lakes in the region. And ultimately, the only thing he did, uh, as far as monster finding goes, is he said, well, we've eliminated a lot of possibilities based on the DNA. But the one thing we haven't eliminated is the possibility that it is a giant eel. Because there are eels in the lock, many of them, and giant eels are a real animal. Maybe there's a giant eel. Well... Well, might take you back to Ray Hyman's um, categorical imperative about do you investigate something before you know for sure something's really happened? I'm, I'm, I'm mangling that. But basically, before you go try to find a solution to something, make sure there's really something to find a solution to. And I, I believe before uh, Professor Gimmel went and led this research study, we already had a good understanding of what was going on in that lock. People see monsters... And people see sea monsters, but people see lake monsters, and there doesn't have to be a monster there. There doesn't have to be a giant eel. There doesn't have to be anything there. People can mistake real animals. People can misunderstand natural occurrences. There doesn't have to be a real monster. And, you know, I'm glad he did his study, but at the end, he could have just said, we didn't find a monster of any sort. 
you know, there was nothing anomalous in the DNA. That would have not have been as interesting a story. But because he went with the giant eel, I think it created the uh, misconception, or at least it amplified the misconception, that whatever's in the lock might be a giant eel. And there's no, there's not a monster in the lock. I mean, if there were a monster in the lock, it would have been seen before 1930. Do not come at me with a Columbus story. Just keep it to yourself. <laughs> Anyway, that's, I'm, I just wish that that had been handled in the media a little more pro-sciencey, a little more pro-critical thinking. But I think there may be some economic pressure to keep the mystery alive. And I'm not saying that any of the people who are promoting this are in a you know, conspiracy to keep the mystery alive. I'm just saying that there's strong economic incentives to make people want to stay curious about the lock and not have it be a settled matter as to whether or not there's a monster in it. And as long as it's ambiguous, then that can still be milked for cash. But it's a beautiful place. It's lovely. It's got a wonderful, rich history. I, there, you know, now the, the burnt ruins of Boleskine House lie on its shores. There's, there's so much to see there. It's gorgeous. Oh... I don't think you need a monster. It's like the old thing about, you you know, you could just have a lovely garden. You don't need to have fairies at the bottom. I, I just, I, I do regret this. Um, and I don't think it's helping monster research. But I think the eDNA stuff is amazing and needs to be further implemented across other monster uh, situations, monster stories. And I look forward to that. I look forward to a day when we can, you know, instead of the average monster hunter going out in the woods with... Uh, a cosplay kit for I'm a Monster Hunter, but they could go out with real science stuff, you know, inexpensive kits to do their own eDNA analysis. That would be wonderful. I, that's a dream. Uh, kind of like I thought by the time I got to be this age, we'd have uh, something equivalent to a an electron microscope at home. That turned out to not be a real thing. But I keep hoping. I, I, I love microscopy and sensing and all that sort of thing. So that's probably apparent anyway. See? This is the kind of thing I'd normally edit out, but I'm going to leave it. All right. Which brings us um, to what else is going on. Uh, Dragon Con is coming up. That's actually this next weekend. Um, I'm going to be giving a talk. I'll be on a, a panel, and I'll give a talk. So on Friday, September 1st at 1130 a.m. in the Skeptics Track Room in the Hilton... I will be delivering a talk on Monsters of Georgia. So I decided, uh, after doing podcasting for all these many years, I should turn my skeptical eye at the monsters of my home state um, and just put together a presentation about the monsters. And we have quite a few here, allegedly. <laughs> um, so that's Friday at 11.30 a.m. And then on Sunday night, I'm super excited to be on a panel in the horror track run by friend of the show, Derek Tatum. And that'll be in the Weston Peachtree Plaza. And I'll be on a panel discussing the 50th anniversary of The Exorcist. And on that panel will be recurring guest Joe Laycock. And also, I hear there's going to be an actual priest. So uh, Joe's written about exorcisms across human history and various uh, religions. And so certainly look forward to hearing what he has to say about the context of real-life exorcisms versus those in the film. I'd love to hear what the priest has to say. I'm just a big old monster horror fan. I love the sort of cultural impact of uh, The Exorcist. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll be discussing the fact that uh, Friedkin passed away, so at least a moment of silence. Um, but 
that should be really interesting. I'm, I, I love panel. I like I like giving talks, but I love the sort of interactive moments that you have at a good convention like DragonCon, where you've got uh, various levels of expertise, but tons of enthusiasm for the topic, and you get to have the most interesting sort of discourse because you never know who's going to know something you didn't know. And ah, it's just been great. I love DragonCon. I've been going as long as they've had the convention. So looking forward to that. I uh, hope you get to see me or I get to meet you. So please do come up and say hi. Um, I've met some great fans and listeners, some of who have become friends. It's just really nice to meet people who listen to the show. And I like to hear your stories and how you found it. And, and, and you can tell me how I'm doing a terrible job and too many puns or not enough puns. You know, that, that seems to be a knob we can never get properly adjusted. So, if you can't go to DragonCon, but you live in Georgia, and you want to hear that talk about Monsters on Georgia, I will be presenting it a second time uh, in October. So, Sunday, October 15th, at the Forsyth County, at the Forsyth County Library that is in Cumming, Georgia. I'll put a link in the show notes that has all the details, and uh, it's the same talk. I will be talking about Monsters of Georgia. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. So what are the monsters of Georgia? You might be wondering, because, I mean, you know, like every state, we've got our own stuff. But uh, one of the ones that I've known about for years, I even did an interview about it for Creative Loafing back in the day. I think that might have been 2009 or 10, um, is a monster that is sometimes called Alti and uh, sometimes called Altamahaha. Um, and it is, it's not exactly a lake monster and it's not exactly a river monster. I think... It might be one of America's few estuary monsters. That's kind of interesting. Um, it is a sort of... It's it's sort of depicted as reptilian, and it sort of behaves like a mammal. It's quite, it's quite an interesting thing. What happened was, uh, that sort of drove this thing, was Joe Nickel, again, uh, was telling me that he wanted to go do research on Alti, but, you know, he lives up in New York in the Buffalo area, and getting down to Georgia at his age and health is more 
strenuous and it's more of a challenge than it used to be. So he asked me if I would do some of the footwork for him. So, yes, it turned out that circumstances uh, allowed me to make the uh, four-hour drive down to Darien, Georgia, where I went to the Darien Community Center and uh, sort of like a welcome center. And they have there a statue of Alti and some information. Uh, That was sort of my starting point. And then I did a massive amount of newspaper articles, searches, and my books and just did a you know, general broad uh, sort of uh, topic survey on Alti and got together as much research material as I could to sort of piece together what is the story of Alti. And it's quite interesting. Now, Joe has written an article out of all this research, and I want to give him primacy on that because I did this research work to help him. His article, uh, which he read to me over the phone, because Joe doesn't use computers. <laughs> he, uh, he read to me over the phone. I like it. It's good. But uh, I, I will be doing my own presentation on that uh, for both DragonCon and the, uh, this, this uh, talk at the Forsyth County Library. So, uh, neat. And there will be hearing more about Alti here on Monster Talk because uh, I guess if you were looking for, I don't know, visualizations of what Alti looks like, the Darien Welcome Center has a, I'm air quoting, life-size replica of what Alti looks like. And that was made by an artist who lives right here in Georgia. And I've reached out to him. And he also produces uh, artistic sculpts for the Fernbake Science Center here in Atlanta, which is uh, a wonderful museum. It's got all kinds of cool life-size models and uh, replicas and real preserved you know, artifacts bones etc so it's a really nice place and so uh he's taken that same quality of craftsmanship and applied it to the mystery creature of alti and uh, i love the results it's a beautiful uh thing if you go to that link in the show notes uh for that talk in uh forsyth county library in october there's a picture of me standing next to the alti statue and i i probably can stick that in the uh, uh image notes for this show as well uh other monsters of georgia um bigfoot I mean, of course, Bigfoot. Uh, Bigfoot's everywhere, and we're grateful for his presence. Uh, so <laughs> I think maybe most famously the uh, 2008 Georgia Bigfoot in a freezer, um, which turned out to be more closely related to the Georgia opossum. But uh, seriously, the uh, Bigfoot uh, is widely believed to live here in Georgia, both in the North Georgia mountains and down in the swamps of South Georgia. So I have to talk about that. Uh, obviously, uh, Georgia, during the big uh, UFO flying saucer flap, had its moment where we had uh, space aliens crash, and th- those bodies are preserved in a government facility. Attend the talk, learn about that, because that's a true story. I mean, the part where it's preserved in a government facility, that's real. Uh, <laughs> but what the aliens were, eh, that's a little weirder. Okay, uh, Poltergeist. There was a very famous Georgia Poltergeist case. I think it was covered on the Unsolved Mysteries show, um, one of their early paranormal episodes. And, of course, the Georgia Werewolf. Where would we be without the Georgia Werewolf? Uh, So that one's a really peculiar story, and I found uh, lots of versions of that story reproduced. But I'm trying to track it. <laughs> I've got just a few days left to track it back to sort of the source. So we'll see if I solve that one or not. I I, I, sus- I have some suspicions that I'm going to uh, hold off on because 
uh, I have to check myself against confirmation bias. So, more on that later. Speaking of werewolves, um, I, if you're a long-time listener, you will recall I did an episode where I had, uh, as a part of a multi-episode coverage of the Beast of Chevaudan, I got into the question of when did silver bullets get introduced into the legend. And that was an interesting story because all of my research suggests that the person who introduced the silver bullet into the legend of the Beast of Gévaudan was actually John Keel. So um, I did find one more suspect, but her publishing footprint is far tinier than Keel's has turned out to be as far as uh, being an, uh, a story kernel source. Um, anyway, what's happened since then was, I, I think during that presentation I said that, uh, as near as I could tell, the introduction of the concept of silver bullets being used to kill vampires came from the, not from the Wolfman, but from one of his sequels. Uh, silver killing a werewolf, yes, but silver uh, in particular. Although even silver killing a werewolf turned out to not be as part of the folklore as 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 uh, was previously commonly stated in monster books. It turns out to be a, a much more nuanced issue. Anyway, I need to go back and revisit that research because thanks to the good folks over at um, the formerly the HP Podcraft Literary, the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast, now it's called Strange Studies of Strange Stories, they covered a werewolf story that predates the wolfman but had a silver bullet dispatch the werewolf. And so that was in the 19th 30s, I believe, but I need to update my uh, research to reflect that because uh, the cool thing about historical research or scientific research or anything like that where you're using a, a sort of rigid uh, rules of evidence. So if you're being intellectually honest, if you find something that refutes a previous premise, you have to do something about that. So I'm not going to delete the old ep- episode, but I'm going to go and revisit that research and see if I could find even more. Now, what I think part of that is there is a. I was looking into folklore and some fiction, but since that episode, I've tracked down a really uh, robust body of additional sources to go through for trying to track it down. And, and just, I really, as much as possible, want to see when the idea of two, really two things. When did silver bullets get firmly entrenched as sort of the. Uh, guaranteed trope for killing werewolves because they remember if you have heard that episode the silver bullet killing a supernatural creature was previously witches it was always witches and it was really an early 20th century uh, addition that silver had to be used to dispatch werewolves per my research if I find any more to contradict that I will gladly share it because I'd like to get to the bottom of how that happened so uh, moving on from werewolves Another big project that I've been working on for months and months, maybe years, well, technically years, is my research into the Kentucky Goblins, uh, the Kelly Hopkinsville Goblins. And I'm writing a massive roundup of all my research for a two-part story that's going to be in the British magazine, The Skeptic. Michael Marsh has been extraordinarily patient with me on putting this together. If you enjoyed my hairy hands uh, of Dartmoor or Devon, research then this will be along those lines it's just pulling together every bit of all of the stories legends um facts theories hypotheses uh there's so many sort of meta questions people say that that story is where little green men got introduced into uh ufos and 
Uh, that's the question I have a definitive answer for. And then uh, one of the mysteries that was still sort of left open was, did the people in the Kelly Hopkinsville case actually fire their guns through the screen windows at these goblins? And I, you know, I mean, there's, it, it seemed to me a strange question because there were bullet casings found. There were holes in the screen. Why would people be skeptical that they had actually shot out the screen? I don't know. But I decided, it turned out that I had literally everything I needed to reproduce this and, and compare. And so uh, this skeptic got out of his armchair and went out in the country <laughs> and shot up some screen window to find the answer. And I found the answer. And I was uh, glad to sort of uh, put that on the record. And But I haven't actually published that work. So this will also be where that happens. So kind of bringing it all together into a unified body of research, which I'm delightfully proud of. I, I, I really enjoyed researching that. I think I have a much better understanding of the story. I think you'll find things in that research that you won't find elsewhere, or at least not all in one spot. So uh, I, I look forward to that being published, but I've got to get it across that last mile, which is usually the problem with me. Uh, speaking of last miles, the horror podcast uh, I've still got uh, two more parts left on my tour of Italy. I've done all the footwork, but I haven't sat down and recorded. It's coming. I've been so busy on so many projects, it's just really hard to make time for that. But October is the spooky month, and it seems ridiculous to not at least get that out the door. I've got more uh, interviews lined up for that uh, show as well. It, that's a fun show. It's just the one that seems to take the longest to get around to working on it. And it breaks my heart because it's such fun to talk about stuff without having to worry about whether it's true or not <laughs> I have a sort of there's an ease of talking well that's even that's not true I'm too much of a stickler for my if I, I don't want to spread misinformation so I know I'm going to get things wrong sometimes but I really don't want to and so especially with stuff around fandom I get really caught up in are we sure that's not just a rumor you know going back and checking old issues of uh, Starlog and Fangoria and other monster magazines and newspaper articles trying to get back and figure out where, you know, uh, it, it does the IMDb uh, trivia page, for example, that's not, that's a, about like Wikipedia. It's a great place to start, but you need to check your facts. Anyway, the horror podcast will be back. Um, and then I've got my technology book, which I've continued to research and just need to sit down and get out the door. Uh, I just need to sit down and hammer out all the chapters from all my notes. So that, you know, that might be another year out, but at least I've gotten more writing discipline uh, being built up lately, which is great. So it's been, my goodness, I've been talking for 30 minutes. I can't believe that. But uh, <laughs> maybe listeners of the show have no trouble believing I can talk for 30 minutes. <laughs> anyway, uh, it's been a rough year. I mean, we've, we've moved to a, 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 almost a year ago or around a year ago, we moved to a model where we started having ad inserts and being responsible for a weekly release. And that's challenging. It's, it's really changed sort of the way we do the show. I think based on listener feedback, some of you really want deep dives and I love deep dives, but uh, some of you want nice, light, you know, weekly content. And I think, well, we've been really trying to strike a balance where you get the deep dives, but sometimes they're broken up into two parts. Or occasionally I just let the episode run long. But uh, the machine wants to be fed. The machine needs content. And I don't ever want my content to be weak or frivolous just because there's a deadline to deliver. Uh, that's just not 
what I want to do for the show. The show's a show that I created out of a passion for this topic and for communicating science and critical thinking and puns, obviously. Uh, and I don't want it to turn into just another... I don't want... People clearly enjoy shows where people just banter. I mean, that's morning radio is that. But that's not what this is. That's not what I want this show to be. I want this show to be monsters, monsters adjacent, science. Did I say adjacent? All right. Watch Clark and watch him close. You hear me? <laughs> anyway, uh, so... It's been a rough year. We've moved to uh, I'm moving us to a, a seasonal model. I decided to call this first season with advertising like this is season two. I may not stick with that. I don't know. I don't want to mess up people's numbering, but I really, I, I really, uh, as a longtime podcast listener, I get I get frustrated about how to organize things. I really do. This is why I have I have like a huge library of monster and mystery books, and I have them in the most vague sense of of, of categorization because I have a hard time picking monolithic categories with which to categorize things. I, I just, I have a hard time with that. So anyway, I, we've had a lot of health issues. It's been a really tight economic year. Karen's family's had a lot of health issues and finance issues. It's been rough. I cannot tell you how rough. I don't want to tell you because everybody's got their own problems, but I will say that it is only the support of Monster Talk listeners and in research of listeners that have kept, and, and the horror podcast uh, listeners, is just the, the whole Monster House family of podcasts has kept my family afloat, has kept Karen's family afloat. And, you know, I, I feel like we're doing a good exchange here. I hope we're doing a good exchange here. We give you, hopefully, creepy, fun, monster science, if not... In, like if not superb education, at least things to research on your own. I, I don't know what else to call it. It's these talking points, these ideas. I hope that as we do this, we're giving you information that is entertaining and helpful and useful in how you look at things in your own life. There's more than one lens with which to view the world, and the lens of rational, reasonable criticism is you know that's just one. And I'm not saying it's the best way. It's just the way we do it, but. I hope we're doing something to give you value for your for your money. I, I hope that if you're giving money to us, that what you leave with is a sense that we're doing good work. Because that's what I want. That's why I get up and do the show. That's why we're still passionate about it after doing it since 2009. These are questions we would be looking at anyway. And I'm proud of the work we've done trying to share that in a way that might be hopefully meaningful to you as well. If you like the show and you want to keep it going, nothing is more effective than joining us on the Patreon page and, and giving us two or three bucks a month. That That is huge for us. And as a reminder, if you do that, you get uh, unbeeped episodes, uh, and usually we put in extra content. Sometimes it's silly, sometimes it's not. I mean, sometimes it's we get off on a tangent that I don't think is relevant to everybody, but maybe it's the sort of thing you want to hear. Um, you know, if you um, if you want to try it, I, you know, this, just check it out. You can always cancel if you don't like it. I, I, I don't know. We really could use the help. And I really, really deeply appreciate everyone who's contributed. Um, it, it literally is keeping the lights on. That's, no, that's not metaphor. That's, that's a fact. 
Anyway, I really hope uh, this little view into what I'm working on gives you a few things, uh, things to look forward to, things to participate in, uh, and maybe a better understanding of why I have so much trouble getting stuff out the door because I got clearly too many things cooking at the same time. But life is short, and I don't know of anybody else who's doing exactly what I'm doing. I don't know of anybody else who does things like this or views the world like this. I guess what I'm saying is, I think I'm a unique voice. I think Monster Talk is a unique voice. I think the interplay between Karen and I is unique to this whole podcasting world. I think what Jeb and I do on any research of is unique. And uh, if you know of anything that's comparable, I'd like to hear it because I also like to listen to shows. So give me some feedback. You know, you can always reach us. I'm Blake at monstertalk.org. Karen's Karen at monstertalk.org. You can leave contents on our Patreon page. We love to hear from you. So if you know if, if you know of other stuff I should be listening to, let me know. I'd love to hear about it. All right. I'm going to stop talking because, oh, my God, I've crossed the 30-minute line by myself. <sighs> I look forward to seeing some of you. I hope you enjoy the content that comes out of this work. And uh, thank you, as always, for being a listener. And I should say, if you're listening to the free feed, please do check out our sponsors. I know that uh, sometimes we get like a listener code or something you can put in that lets them know exactly where the the purchases came from. That's huge. Um, but uh, hopefully there will be many more years of Monster Talk to come. Uh, in the meantime, uh, that's what we're working on now. So thanks again. See you next week. I won't actually see you next week unless you're Dragon Con. <laughs> and then I will totally see you next week. Oh, we'll probably be running a rerun next week as well. Just uh, something from the archives because as I'm at Dragon Con, I won't have time to be doing my normal weekend edits. So there you go. Monster Talk. You're listening to the August 27th, 2023 episode of Monster Talk, Monster Talking with Blake Smith. I'm Blake Smith. And I just told you about projects that Karen and I are working on. A lot of stuff that I've been working on coming up soon. Uh, where I will be at Dragon Con this upcoming weekend and in the Forsyth County Library in October. And we wanted to thank you for supporting the show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles, so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk's theme music is still by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Goodness gracious. Uh, I checked on them a while back, and although the people who put it together are still doing music, I don't think they're doing it as Peach Stealing Monkeys anymore. But 
They've been stalwart companions for the entire run of this show. And for that, we thank them. And for listening when you could be doing almost anything else, we thank you. Monster House presentation. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.